good to see you. I'm so glad not everybody's on holiday this weekend, but I'm happy for the ones that are for sure. And if you're a visitor, thank you so much for coming along. So good to see you here. And um, wasn't that worship amazing, eh? It's when we lift up the name of Jesus, it's just incredible. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit has come that we might glorify Jesus. And I just think it puts a smile on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And also it takes our eyes off our circumstances as we glorify Christ. And I really enjoyed that worship team. Thank you. Aren't we blessed with amazing worshipers in this church? Yeah, let's give them a hand. Great, great. So over this, the next few weeks, um, next week will be the first week of the official new year when everybody comes back and school goes back, um, uh, church year. It's very weird for us um, who come from um, South Africa because January normally is the first uh, school start there, everything starts. But uh, I'm looking forward to the start in September uh, next week, uh, the official start. And so I thought of this time, I'd start speaking about the nature of the church. What is the church? And to maybe have a shift of mindset in some of us of how we view the church and, and why we view it that side. And looking at the Word of God. And um, the Word of God is pretty clear on what the church should be. And so over the next few weeks, we will talk about that. And one thing about the Word of God is, uh, I love what it says in Zechariah chapter 4. It says that God will rejoice when he sees the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And we know that Zerubbabel was in charge of rebuilding the temple. Uh, we know that the old covenant, the temple was made of stone. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the plumb line is what kept the temple straight on line. You know, if, we, if this was built and it was two inches out here, it would be a few feet out at the back of it. And so that's what the Word of God is, the plumb line of our lives. And God never intended for the Word to adapt to our lives or our culture, but for our lives and culture to line up with the Word of God. And so there's certain things and traditions that I believe have crept into the life of the church that we need to consider and uh, pray about and maybe make some adjustments. So Jesus says this in Matthew 16. He's having a conversation with his disciples, and this is actually the first time that the churches, the word church is mentioned in the Word of God, the ecclesia, the called out ones, and uh, it's through Jesus Christ himself, and this is what he asked his disciples. It says in verse 13 to 17, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is. Who, is. who does people say Jesus is? That's an eternal question that many are still asking today. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what do, about you, he asked, what do you, uh, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, are the rock, uh, you, you, Peter, 
You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, one of the traditions has come in that Peter was the foundation of the church, and we see that uh, in, in uh, different denominations and, and so on, that Peter, the church was built on the rock of Peter, because Peter's name means little rock, and they determined that. But actually, what Jesus is, said is, you are Peter, and on the revelation that you have that I am the Christ, I will build my church. You see, two things are eternal. Have, here he reveals two eternal consequences. One, that Jesus Christ is the Christ, and he's not a Christ. He is a Christ. And two, that on this revelation, he is the Christ. He will build his church. That is, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by him. That's a revelation that each of us need to get, that Jesus drew a line in the sand. Many people will say that there's many ways to God. There's many do doors to God. But Jesus came and said this, and for this, for claiming that he was God incarnate and for claiming that he was the only way to God, that's what, um, what caused him to be crucified on the cross. And as I've said this before, uh, as an analogy, if that door was the only fire door in the building and a fire broke out in here, who would be allowed to go through that door? Everybody who wanted to. And that's the same with Jesus. He is the door. He is the way. And so Christianity is not exclusive. It's inclusive. But it's by choice. It's choices that we make. So the, fire, the building could be on fire, and I could say, well, I'm not going out that door because I wanted to go out that door, and it's locked. That wouldn't be a wise thing to do. And that's the same with Jesus. He's saying, I'm giving the, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but it's you that needs to choose the way uh, that I've, I've pointed to for you. And you see this in Acts 4, verse 12. Peter confirms this truth before the Jewish council. After witnessing the resurrection of Christ, just days before, uh, he has um, just healed the, the beggar at the gate, beautiful, and he's been called to give an account of how that happened. The council were trying to still... Um, convinced people that Jesus had not been risen from the dead. And he asked them, now ask him this question, of who, in whose name did you raise this man from the dead? And he says, the name of Jesus. And in verse, um, in verse 4, verse 12, he says this of Jesus Christ, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven and earth by which mankind can be saved. We see this as Paul, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. He was one of the Jewish leaders, and he was assigned to persecute the church and try and snuff out the church. And in Colossians 15, 20, he writes this. We know on the road to Damascus, Jesus reveals himself to him, and he has this personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And throughout his life, Paul had this an amazing relationship and uh, revelation of Jesus. And this is what he says of Jesus Christ, because I want to, us to understand that man is not the head of the church. 
Man serves Jesus in roles in the church, but man is not the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And when we put man in the place of God, things go wrong. How many have you seen that in the world? How many have you seen that in the church? When God, uh, when man is, puts in, exalts himself to a, a, a calling and that no one but himself called him to, things don't happen, go too well. And this is what it says here in Acts chapter 9. Uh, I mean, in, in um, Colossians 15, uh, 1, 15 to 20. It says, the Son is the image of the visible God. This is the head of the church, the firstborn amongst all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, which is the church. So two things here we understand, that Jesus is the head of the church, and we are the body. The church is the body of Christ. And it's important that we understand that as we go forward. You'll see where I'm going with this. He's the beginning and the firstborn from amongst the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And we see this reference to the body of Christ and Christ the head of the church in a number of scriptures, in particular 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll look at that in detail as we go on in the series. But in Romans 2, verse 45, he says this, Paul, speaking of the body of Christ, for just of each one has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who, who though we are many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. So in the body of Christ, you get Christ, the King, the Lord, the head of the church, and members of the body of Christ are co-heirs with Christ, saved, sanctified by God, holy and dearly loved by God. And so when we get our identity from what we do, our function, and not who we are, which is the child of God, things go wrong. Because we then create a hierarchy within the church. For example, God has called me to lead this church, and God has called elders to lead this church. We have deacons, and we have volunteers, but all of us are equal in standing before God. I have no higher stature in the house of God than you do. I simply have a different function. And my function, God calls me to do well, and the elders' fund, which is to lead the church. But my function is no more important than the ones that put out the chairs in God's eyes. You see, everything we do is an act of worship. We've got to see this, that we don't... Worship was never meant to be a Sunday event, and we're going to look at that. But our lives are meant to be worship. And so how do we worship God? 
We worship God by serving Him and serving others. We worship God with our finances. We worship God with our lives. Everything we do, the, the people at the door are worshiping God. The sound desk, they're worshiping God by, by laying down their, um, their needs and rights or whatever to come and sit here, but to get here early, set up, put up the sound and all of that. And every single one of us has been given a function. But because we have a hierarchy of function, we feel that what I do might not be as important as what the elders do. And therefore, we step back. And I want to tell you, that's not what God intended. Every single one of us has a place in the body of Christ. Sitting up chairs, coffee, Sunday school, uh, visitation, whatever it is, prayer, all of these things we need to see that when we do them, we are worshiping God. And when we see it as an act of worship, it becomes a high calling, not just a task. And God never wanted us to be task-orientated. He wanted us to worship Him in our lifestyle, in every area of our lives. And so we're going to be encouraged people to get more involved in the body of Christ. But worship doesn't stop in a building, and we'll see that. Worship is what we do outside there. Worship is a cup of water to a thirsty person. Worship is a hug to a homeless person, a meal, a coat, a kind word to our neighbors, a mowing the lawn of our neighbor who's old and may not be able to do it. If we do it in the name of the Lord, with the right heart, everything we do is worship. Our lives are to be worshiped to Him. And so that's one of the things that has to change, is that this hierarchy. And we'll look at Romans 12 in more detail at another time. You see, not only does God call us the body of Christ, but in Ephesians and other places, God speaks of the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible, incredible privilege that we who are born again have the indwelling Spirit of God in us, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And other, as a result, we have authority to go and be Christ in the, in the world, not in our own strength and in Him. In him. And so, there's so much more that we're going to be going through, and I'm just laying a very little platform, and I'm a bit all over the show because there's so much here. But I want to ask this, um, this, this question, because why is it that we, the church has sometimes gone so off track in so many areas? And I lead a church, I've been part of a church, and it's because of the traditions of man. We're going to look at that. You see, the traditions of man, man-made rules and regulations, have robbed the church of its glory, in a sense. This is something you're going to have to put your mind around for a while. You'll have to listen to the rest of the messages. You see... Instead of being, our lives being worshipped, we now go to church 
to worship. And worship becomes an event, becomes a tradition. And for me, as much as many were, where I go to church on a Sunday and I do my worship thing. And then I put my worship thing in the box and I get on with my life. Coming together is biblical and it's important. Hebrews 10 says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. That we're not to neglect this, but we're to encourage one another. We come together, but we come together as worshipers to worship. We don't come here to f- perform a, a monthly, weekly service or tradition. And God wants to break that. Because the, the biggest threat to the kingdom of heaven is not a number of people meeting in a building on a Sunday all over the world. And there might be hundreds Thousands or millions doing that. But the biggest threat is the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. When we understand who we are in Christ, that our function might be different, but our calling is uh, is a high calling, and our standing before God is as an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ, adopted into his family. And when we understand that and we begin to get encouraged and empowered through the worship here, the prayer here, and corporate prayer and all of that is very important. Corporate worship is important. And when we go and be the church, because the church is not a building, the church is not a structure. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention the church as a building. The church is always the people. And so wherever we meet, under a tree in Africa, is the church. In a cathedral, it is a church. But if you ask people, where's the church? They'll say, oh, we've got that building downtown and that one and that. And I know what they mean. But that's not what God means. God does not live anymore in a temple made of stone. He lives within us. We're His temple. And we together together and be the church. Interesting, another tradition that Jesus said in his word that you're not to give any man titles. No man, call no man rabbi, no man father. I don't know, this has just come to me now. And yet, we like to have titles. And the reason that is, it's the tradition that is coming over many years, is because we find our identity in our title and not in who we are. And so this hierarchy comes in. And if we're not careful, we get enamored by the thing that, well, I'm just a a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a, a low, lowly sinner. I'm just a child of God. That's all I am. There's nothing more, you know, all of this. But if I, if I work hard, and you, you, many of you would have heard this, but if I work hard, maybe I'll become a deacon. And if I really deek hard, then maybe I'll become an elder. And when I get there, maybe I'll get onto a team or something like this. And I tell you what, all of those are functions of the body of Christ. 
But they were never, ever intended to be our identity. Identity is in Christ and Christ alone. And whether we elder or whether we roll out this carpet or whether we uh, help pack everything away, that is as important to the preach and the worship. And I'd like to just ask this question. If the chairs went out today, how many of you would notice it? How many of you would want to know who didn't put the chairs out? That would be important. If the washrooms weren't cleaned, we'd know about it. And I thank God for our sound technicians and our, our multimedia guys because it's very hard when things go wrong, not for everybody to look at the sound guy. I would never do that job. But it's very important. It's important. Can you see the value? We have people in this church whose sole responsibility is to make sure it's a safe place for our children. They don't even come to the services or often. They walk in around, they looking after our children. And how many of you would like to know that person's name if something happened to a child? Can you see that? I'm not saying this, uh, we have very good security, but what I'm saying is that person might be walking out there, I'm missing another sermon. You know, I'm not in church. Why am I coming today? All I did was this, all I did was that. But in God's eyes, it's as much as an act of worship. Leading a home group is uncomfortable. Leading people is uncomfortable. Discipling is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to go, God places somebody in your heart and say, why don't you give them a call and visit them? Oh, man. Why don't you go to the hospital and, and minister to people? It's uncomfortable. It's not easy. But if we box our, our, our religious duty into an hour or two of a week, then of course it's uncomfortable because we've done what we meant to do. And the problem is, because of traditions that have come in, it's not your fault most of the time because that's what we've been taught. But from tomorrow, it is your fault. And that's your problem. You see, Jesus, speaking of the Pharisees, in Mark 7, 13, said this. He warned the religious leaders of his day, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and do many things like that. Because Jesus wasn't following the Mosaic law, and that's another reason they wanted to crucify him or the Levitical law. And this is the thing with traditions. We sometimes fight for a tradition more than the Word of God. Something changes. Well, we've always done it like that, and it should be like that, and this and that. And that becomes an issue bigger than, hey, do you believe Jesus Christ saved you? Do you believe Jesus is Lord and all of that? Those are the things that we should be arguing about if we're going to have an argument. But traditions, and we all have them, and they're not bad. Traditions are not bad. 
But when they come in line, but when a tradition, when we see in the Word that it does not line up with the Word, what should go? The tradition or the Word? And that's what we want to look at and get back to, is what the Bible says, the New Testament church says about church. You see, God has an incredibly high view of you. And I'm going to read a passage of Scripture just in closing now. And I want you to go and search, read, start reading the book of Acts and, and start looking at some of these things about the priesthood of all believers and the high calling upon you. Because we need, this church needs the church to arise. The church needs to, the world needs the church to get outside of the walls and be Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And if we get this, one, two, three hundred people in this church, how many ever there are, we can change a city and a nation. When we all begin to carry our part of the load, we're going to be speaking about volunteering in this too, what it means and how you can do that and help us with the load. But this is what Peter wrote under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this is the high view of God. And I want of you, and I want to com- you to compare this to your view of you. You see, outside of Jesus, our views are normally really not that good. But God doesn't see us like that. God sees us through Jesus Christ. God sees us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when we are born again, and when Jesus has dealt with our sin, he sees us hidden in Christ. We are hid in Christ. And we are seated in Christ in heavenly realms. And we have an anointing and authority to change world and change nations. Every single one of us. It's not a story I say for any other reason. Is that's what happened to Deborah and I. We're in our early 30s and felt the call of God. And fortunately, God, which we were afraid of, scared of, didn't believe it ourselves often, but fortunately, God put leaders around us that encouraged us to come to Canada, not knowing anybody here, and plant this church. And somebody is saying today, man, that's been amazing. I said, I, if I believe what God has and is doing in this little church. I couldn't have, I couldn't have imagined it. I, said, I remember saying, God, if you gave us 10 people, I'd be happy. And God, if you gave us 20 people. And when we got to 50 people after a few years, I thought we were in heaven. And would have been worthwhile for that. But it's people encouraging. People making us understand that it is Christ in us. And God is not looking for ability. God is looking for availability. God is looking for us to use the gift that we have in our hand. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's prophesying, let him prophesy. If it's... uh, 
contributing to the needs of others, let him do it cheerfully, all in Romans. These are all of the things that are needed for the body of Christ to function. And when we do that together, the load gets lighter. Galatians 6, Word of God says this, that each one should carry his own load. God has a load for us. And let's say the load of this church was 1,000 pounds. And there's 10 strong guys, stronger than me, that say we can carry 100 pounds each. And they were carrying this 1,000-pound load called Oceanside, 100 pounds each. Can you imagine if another 10 came along and said, we'll help with the load? Now they're each carrying 50 pounds. And if another five came, or 10, whatever it is, it would be 25 pounds, 10 pounds. And so as the church grows, and as the community grows, and as our city grows, we can look at it, how can we reach the city? How can we, the world is out of control, how can we do it? It's by each one of us carrying our bit of the load. Because guys that can carry 100 pounds, and I'm, there's some guys here, I know they could do it for this whole preach on their shoulders. But it's not sustainable. And people burn out. And there are many volunteers, even in the church today, here today, that said, I don't want to do that again because of burnout. And I understand that. But if you imagine... If 10 people came around you and said, we'll do it together, imagine what we could do. Imagine what the city would look like. Imagine the people we could reach in the city. See, God wants a church without walls. And this is what God says about you. We're going to break bread today. Talking about the church he is building and who we are. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. Uh, uh, five, let's start with verse 5. 5 to 10. But you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. I love the analogy of living stones. We are living stones. The amazing thing about stones, you see, tradition and religion wants to make us look like bricks, cookie-cutter Christians, all the same, look the same, do the same, talk the same, because it's way easier to build with a brick than with stone, to make a stone wall. And we want, religion wants you to conform. But God says, no, you're a living stone. I challenge you to go and find two stones that are exactly the same in the entire planet of the billions of stones. Living stones. Pieces of coal and diamonds. Problem is, if you want to turn from coal to a diamond, (laughs) there's a lot of pressure. (laughs) But they're beautiful stones. But they're all important. And if you had a garden wall with beautiful stones, and there's one, a few that's not so beautiful, you don't really, you just see the whole wall. 
But if that stone is out the wall, it's going to bug you. It would bug me. I'm a bit ADHD like that. It would bug me. I'd, jeez, you know, get that stone back in the wall. And we are, are these living stones being built into God's spiritual house. That's who we are. And just think of the privilege of that, that you are unique and you made who you are. And yes, we can't just say that's just who I am if, we, if we've got bad habits or things like that. But I'm saying who you are. There's a place for you. God handpicked you. God called you. You responded to the call. And He's placed you in His church, in this beautiful church that, that transcends the, uh, and, uh, uh, the whole world. And that's who you are. You're called to be a holy priesthood. And that is all because Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is not of our own. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. In the old days, you'd buy something and offer it. But our spiritual sacrifices, I believe, is serving God. That our lives become service and sacrifice to God. Pleasing to God. And never underestimate a small task. I've said this a few times, but we've had people after speaking of this many years ago and over and over. Many of you in this church have heard this type of uh, preach before. But we have had people coming to the kingdom of God because somebody reached out to them. One of the guys in our church, an old man next to him, I won't go into the whole story, but it just blew me when he told me this. Really grumpy guy, always bugged his family about noise and that. Driving past one day, this guy had a big pile of uncut chopped wood in his yard. And uh, he was driving past poor old guy, trying, 70s or 80s, trying to chop this, and he just, oh, no, man. He went past, drove back, slammed his door, got his axe, went next door, <laughs> and started chopping wood without really saying anything. Finished the wood. The guy, a few, he just, I, I don't know whether he saw this guy's face on every block of wood. I don't know. But <laughs> he said his attitude stank. But afterwards, this guy said, hey, do you want something to drink? He said, okay. Went in his house, and he opened up his life. Felt coming back from the war, unloved, broken family, Everything from then, just, just a life of hurt and pain. And he just opened this, and they became best, best friends. And he had the privilege of leading him to the Lord with an axe, with a bad attitude. Shoveling snow. Visiting somebody. Go and re read Matthew 25. See, Jesus does not commend the church for the worship and the preaching because worship in heaven and Jesus preaching way better than ours, I think. But he commends them for what they did. When I was in jail, you visited me. When I was hungry, 
you fed me. When I needed a coat, you gave me a coat. And we would say, Lord, we don't even remember doing that. He said, well, when you did it to the least of these. You see, that's been the church. And the world is yet to see the, a church on fire for God and in love with Jesus and loving them unconditionally like that. And I'm not saying individual areas, but I believe this, will, this is what's going to happen around the world, the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. And it's going to be the biggest threat. And we think that um, the world can't be saved in a few days. If we took one billion people out of the few billion that are Christians, and each one of them did one good task and led somebody to the world in a year. You see, Jesus is the head, and we are the body. And a head without a body cannot do much. We are his hands. We're his feet. We're the ones that share the love. We're the ones that go to look at our traditions and things and say, God, do they line up? I don't believe God's angry with us. He's just saying, make adjustments. Make adjustments. And I want us to be that church. I want to be a church that is so in love with each other and so in love with people. I don't care if people know where we are, who we are. Uh, and I prefer that, actually. I want them to know who Jesus is through us. You see, he says this, then going on in verse 6, speaking of Jesus. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So not only are we living stones built into the spiritual house, the cornerstone of the spiritual house, the living stone is Jesus Christ. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders have rejected has become the, stone, the cornerstone a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But that's not you. You are a chosen people. Think about that. Nobody loves me. God chose you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. Can you see how we lower our view of ourselves in the context of God when we bring it to a title or a function. Chosen, royalty in God's kingdom. And, and he says this, in order that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And all of this because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Church, I first of all want to say this just as a, we're not here, we're not perfect, as, as you know. We've been here for a while. 
or been hung around with Deborah and I. We're saved by grace through faith too. So what I'm saying is for this community. God will give others revelation, maybe in other things, that we don't have. And he wants to bring us together. So this is not about judging other churches. This is not about judging how they things do and we do things. We are to walk out what God is speaking to us, and they are prayer of working out what God is speaking to them. So it's not an us and them thing. And one of the things that when we planted this church, I had the privilege of going to just a few years after that to Cambodia um, and do some work there. And coming back from Cambodia, stopped off in Singapore for a few days to visit a church there. And while I was there, I was thinking of what God was doing there. God's doing amazing things in third world countries. Signs, wonders, miracles. And I just said, God, you know, to be honest, do I need to go back to Canada? We were still a very small church. It was January, freezing cold chair. And I just that thought, I didn't even verbalize that. And I felt God say this to me, tend your vineyard. And I felt, I, I thought about that. I said, well, what does that mean, Lord? And, I, and he, I felt him say, I've given you a vineyard in Nanaimo, British Columbia. And that vineyard needs to bear fruit. Stop looking at over the fence at others' vineyards. Because you'll see vineyards with more weeds than yours, and you'll be proud. Or you'll feel vineyards doing better than yours, and you'll be discouraged. Focus on what God has you to do. And allow the vineyards under the same... Uh, God and the same farmer John 15 allow them to be who they are called to be and so when we look at this stuff church please this is not in any way saying that other people are doing things wrong we don't have all truth but these are things that God is revealing to us the priesthood of all believers called sanctified early, doing what God has called them to do. And if others choose to do that in God, that's for them. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I tell you this, and we, we won't have this, so I know we're going into worship and I want to break bread, but the reason I'm saying is that is that I, the, the pastors in this area, we are extremely good friends. I love them. And what they're doing in their churches is phenomenal. They're good people that have laid down their lives, sacrificed, and all of that. Good men and women. And some of them I call pastor. And some of them I call by their own name. Because I'm not trying to, if somebody says I'm Pastor Mike, I'm not trying to prove a point. In eternal things, it doesn't make any difference. But I have had one or two pastors when I passed. Some of our people go there and uh, back home and say, oh, we shouldn't 
that pastor says I shouldn't call you pastor. It's not helpful. In the scheme of things, we, are, we want to guard the unity of the Spirit. The things that we are doing, and somebody could come here and say, well, my pastor says that's wrong. At the end of the day, they are seeking God, and we are in those churches, and we need them. We need to honor them. We need to pray that they get filled with people too. And they prosper because the church is not the kingdom. The church is the vehicle through which the kingdom comes. And every nation, tribe, and tongue, dominate, denomination, or whatever God has placed out there, God is doing amazing things through and I know the Catholic Church, and I don't want to go there too much, but I just feel I, I want to say this. There are godly people in there. There are many ungodly people in Protestant Church as Catholic Church, and there's many godly people. And I tell you, if I ever had the, the privilege of sitting at the feet of somebody like Mother Teresa, Incredible. So let's not judge. Let's not look at the logs in other eyes. The specs. Let's deal with the things in our eyes. And let's strive for unity. And if people want to change, it's because the Holy Spirit has convicted them to change. Because we want to be part of the solution. And I believe. That's what God's called us and the churches in the city to do. So, Father God, I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Lord, I know there's much to think and pray about, but I pray in the name of Jesus that you show us by your Spirit, Lord. And I thank you that you called us and you blessed us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life for us and you're building your church. I will build my church. And Lord, we want to honor that. And whatever area you call us to lead, a doorkeeper, the King of Israel said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, David. Whether it's a doorkeeper, whether it's a, a, a pastor, preacher, evangelist, Lord, that each one of us, Lord God, each one of us will see the value of who we are and what we bring. That this mindset of first, second, third class Christians. The bottom line is, Lord, we are all sinners saved by grace. And we are not perfect, but you are, Lord Jesus. And we look to you, Lord. Lord, as we come to the table today, Lord, we do this in remembrance of you, the very reason that we are royal nation, priests, living stones, is because of you. Lord, as we break bread, Lord, we remember your body broken for us on the, the cross, your wounds, your stripes. Bloodshed for us, Lord. 
you took upon the sin of the world, Lord. We're so grateful for that, Lord Jesus. We're so grateful for what you did, Lord. Lord, I pray for ones who are struggling here, Lord God. I pray that they will know that you love them and you care for them, that they have value, that value was the cost of your life. That there's no condemnation, Lord. That we've been set free by the power of your Spirit, Lord, through your blood shed on the cross. Thank you, Lord. So if the, the stewards could please come here to the front. We're going to break bread. So we have these, just to make it easy, we have these little cups with a piece of wafer in them. And the idea with this is to come up and take it and just find a place where you can either break bread as a family, if you want to do it on your own, or as a community. You can just pray for each other. And let's remember that as we the body of Christ, come together what Jesus Christ did. Amen. Thank you. Welcome to stand. If you'd like to come forward.